Good morning, church family. We are one week away. Can you believe it? And this, this, is, this is crazy. I'm excited. Uh, I want to begin this morning by referencing a question that Jesus once uh, asked his disciples. He said, who do you say I am? This is the most important question of your life. How would you answer it? Who do you say I am? This is a question that everyone must settle once and for all. It is a, a sovereign thing imposed upon every person. And yet it's also a question to revisit again and again. Who do I confess Jesus to be? And does my life live up with what I profess him to be? Now, if you're just joining us this morning, we're in a sermon series called Ancient Paths, going through the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And the creed is the basic summary of the Christian faith, and it's the church's answer to the question that Jesus gave, who do you say I am? Last week, we focused on the phrase in the creed, the, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and today we're looking at the line that says, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Who do we say Jesus is? In this Advent, in this Christmas season, there is always the present danger of familiarity. I've heard this before. Oh, yeah, Jesus came, God's son, Emmanuel, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I mean, God forbid we treat it like that, right? My goodness. But we do sometimes, you know. Uh, you know you may, and, and this morning, you may not hear me say anything you've never heard before, you know, and that's okay. I don't have any Star Wars clips this morning. <laughs> All I have for you is Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. And I pray that I might be able to, by the Holy Spirit, rouse you this morning out of your familiarity, out of our drowsiness with this topic, and realize the wonder and the miracle of what we really believe. And I hope it renews your desire and our calling to share this news with others. Who do we say Jesus is? He's Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We're going to unpack that phrase. So let's start at the beginning with the name Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus. First and foremost, the church believes in Jesus. There's your Sunday school answer. But this is, this is the name of a definite person. And the person that we mean is the historical Jesus as written down in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is why, as we talked about at the start of the series, that the Bible and the creed, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. You need to have them both. You need the creed to understand what the Bible says, and you need the Bible to understand what the creed is saying too. Because this Jesus that is mentioned is the Jesus that we read and have in the Scriptures. And the creed does not go into great detail of Jesus' life. I kind of wish it did. But it assumes the presence of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the and the things that Jesus said and did, it was not really a matter for debate. The church knew the things he said and did. The matter for discussion was, who is this man? Who do we say he is? That's what the church needs to say and confess. And that's why we have these words in the creed. So foundationally, the name of Jesus refers to the one we encounter in the Gospels, a, a real person that lived in Palestine around the years A.D. 1 to 33. That's who we're talking about. So our faith is not in an idea. 
It's not in a philosophy, a, uh, a moral system, or even in a biblical worldview. Our faith is not in a system of religion, although Christians are religious. Our faith is in a definite, embodied, historical, and real person named Jesus. And having a name identifies him as a human, as a man. Now, that's the one thing that the people who actually knew Jesus when he was, was here in bod- bodily form on earth, they all agreed that he was a man just like us. That's the one thing they knew for sure. They talked with him, they walked with him, he ate with him. They know this is a guy just like us. But what about him is different? Why is he so different than us? And if you consider the fact that Jesus was a man like us, it's like C.S. Lewis said, he is either a lunatic, he is either lying for some reason, or he truly is Lord, who he says he is. Those are our options. And what we say about Jesus is really the entire point of Christianity. It's the entire point of our lives. And if it's true, it's the entire point of the whole world. We can't get much more, you can't get any more significant than that. And so while I don't have Star Wars this morning, I hope that you're still excited about this topic. Why, why the name Jesus? We learned in the scripture reading that his name was divinely given. Uh, Mary and Joseph were not given the privilege of naming this child. Uh, they didn't get to go through the big book of baby names. <laughs> they didn't get to go online and look at the top 100 Hebrew baby boy names. No, the name was divinely given by God. God determined the human name of his eternal son, and he chose the name Jesus. This was a common Hebrew name, uh, the Greek form of, of Joshua or Yeshua. Uh, And it means the Lord saves, the Lord saves. And it reminds us also of the great spiritual leader of God's people, Joshua, who, if you know the story, he leads the people uh, into the promised land, deliverance from their enemies, and gives the people rest. So in a similar but much more heightened way, Jesus was born to save us, to save us from our sins, it says, from their defilement, from their guilt, from oppressive power over us from sin's condemnation, which would cast us away from God's presence in hell, from the consequence of sin, which is death. Jesus saves us from all of that and and delivers us into the kingdom of God. So the name of Jesus tells us He's our Savior. He's our Savior. The Nicene Creed, which is the further development of the Apostles' Creed, it states that for us, And for our salvation, He came down from heaven. We learn from this at least two things. One, that we we needed saving. And two, that God was gladly to come and, and save us. It doesn't say for Him. It doesn't say for God's own self's sake. It doesn't say for out of obligation's sake. It doesn't say because this was the right thing to do, although it was. But God looked down at us in His mercy, in His love. And He joyfully saw our need and He joyfully came to to save us. God saw our need for complete salvation. Never forget that you need saving. Maybe that's easy for some of you. Sometimes it's easier on some days than others. I know I need saving. Never forget that you need a Savior. Apart from Jesus, we are lost. We are stuck in sin. We stand guilty before God. We're headed towards sure death 
and judgment before God. Jesus came so you could be assured of salvation in Him. But also never forget that Jesus came for you. He came for you. Because of God's immense love for us, He did the unthinkable of becoming one of us. Karl Barth says that we do not exist in any kind of gloomy uncertainty. We exist through the God who was gracious to us before we existed at all. What's amazing about that is before you were even born, God decided to act. God decided to come and save you. Before you even acknowledged Him, before you were aware of this God, before you were aware of the name of Jesus, God decided to come to save you. You may be living mostly apart from God right now. You may be uh, struggling with your belief in God right now. You may be uh, in rebellion openly against God right now. And yet none of that changes the fact that before all of that, God already decided He's for you. And He came for you. He's coming for you. He's for us. He's for our salvation. For God so loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul said, the Son of God, He loved me and gave Himself for me. We have to personalize this. That this yes, this is a cosmic event that has happened once in history and will never be repeated. And yet, it was for you. Before you were even born, God decided to come and save you. Gladly, freely, joyfully, you are loved by this God. The name Jesus, it's the most precious name to Christians because it's, it's the name of our Savior. It's the, it's the name of our Redeemer. It's the name of the one who has delivered us out of sin, judgment, and death. That's why we love the name Jesus. It's the name above every name. So Jesus, now let's look at Jesus Christ, His only Son. It's, it's almost comical to me that, that Christ has essentially become Jesus' last name. You ever think about that? But as Michael Bird writes, it's not as if he was born to, you know, Mrs. Mary Christ and Mr. Joseph Christ. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not how it is, right? Uh, this is not a name, but it's a, it's a, it's a title. Uh, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, uh, which means the anointed one. The Messiah or the Christ was a, a ruler that God promised his people who would come, who would save them, renew the covenant, and deliver God's people from all their enemies. And although Christ is not a proper name, it's, it's appropriate that we usually say Jesus Christ together as one beautiful name because Christ is his office. Again, I like what Karl Barth says here. He says, there is no dualism between name and calling. At his very birth, this title was, so to speak, lowered onto him inevitably, like a crown, so that this person does not exist apart from this office, nor this office apart from this person. He is Jesus the Savior because he was chosen for the work and office of the Christ, the prophetic, priestly, and kingly servant of God out of Israel. Jesus Christ goes together. They are inseparable. And Bart also points out that the Messiah... This anointed one fulfills the anointed offices, so to speak, of the, of the Old Testament offices that were meant to mediate between God and the people. So the offices of prophet, priest, and king. 
The prophets, what did they do? They spoke the word of God to the people. The priests represented the people back to God, offering sacrifices for sins so that we could be in God's presence. And then the king mediated God's rule and commands to the people of God. And so as the Christ, as the Messiah, Jesus is anointed to fulfill all these roles for all humanity, that as the great prophet who was to come, he speaks words from God himself. As the great priest who was to come, he offers the the final once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, for all your sins, and now he ever lives as your great high priest to intercede and mediate for you. And as the promised king, he inaugurated the kingdom of God, a renewed Israel, a community of people who would willingly, freely yield, bend the knee, bow before Jesus Christ as Lord. So this title, Christ, is so important to the identity of Jesus. And it's also really important because it connects the Old and New Testaments together as God's unified story of what He is doing in the world. Because you cannot understand the word Christ, really, apart from the Old Testament and its story and its promises and its prophecies and how Christ Jesus fulfilled these things. And yet the New Testament proclaims that this man Jesus, who really lived, He's the promised Christ. He's the promised one. He's the promised Messiah. God has acted. God has come. This is good news. He is Jesus the Christ, fulfilling God's promises. At his birth, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when Peter was asked that infamous question, Who do you say I am? He said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Peter knew. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one we've been waiting for. God has acted. Jesus was born to be the Christ. He is the Christ, and He stands before God as our representative. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we claim Him to be our great prophet, priest, and king. So Jesus Christ belongs together as one beautiful name and title. Now let's look at the next part of the creed. Jesus Christ, His only Son. Now, after hearing what Christ means, it may be possible, I hope not, but it might be possible to conclude that Jesus was just a really good prophet. He was just a really good priest, the best priest. He was just a really good king, the best the people had ever seen. More of a superhuman figure rather than divine. But Jesus did not leave this option to us. He claimed to be God. He claimed divine titles. He performed divine works. And his, earlier, his early followers began to worship him. Remember Thomas after the re- resurrection? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And so if the first commandment is to not worship any other gods besides the one true God, how can we worship the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and this man Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, that's what the church had to figure out with their theology and what they were proclaiming. Who is this Jesus? Yes, we know He's the Son of Mary, but what does it mean to say He's the Son of God? You know, I, I, I brought this, uh, my whiteboard out because we're doing all this theology. It kind of feels like we're in a classroom maybe a little bit. And uh, I want to remind you, if you maybe if you weren't here, uh, we talked, when we talked about maker of heaven and earth, I brought this out. 
Can you all see over there? You guys are good? Okay. So we talked about in Christian theology, we have God and creation. God made all things. He's over and above creation, and creation is dependent on God. But God is not creation, and creation is not God. There, there is a maker, right? And so some people have asked, well, was, was Jesus just a human like us? Was, was he maybe like a superhuman? Was he, was he some type of angel? Was, was he created by God at some point in time? And the church has always emphatically said, no. If we put Jesus in this category of some type of created thing, we are not worshiping God. We are committing idolatry. And if Jesus is not in this category, then how can he save us? Only God, right? Even the Pharisees knew this. Only God can forgive sins. Only God, who is the judge of all, can declare you innocent before him and declare your justification. Only God, who is the author of life, can resurrect you on the last day. Only God can do those things. No creation, no creature. And so the church had to learn how to say, yes, he is God's son, and therefore shares in his divine nature. Does that help anybody this morning? Can I get a, a nod or, or an amen? I, I hope I'm not speaking to a bunch of skeletons here. But <laughs> Oh, man. I'll, maybe I'll wake you up with a Stephen Colbert quote, which is maybe funny to quote him, but he said, if the, if the son of a duck is a duck, then the son of God is God. Now, that may be a funny way of putting it, but the son, the descendant, shares in the same nature of that which it is from. So, Jesus, as son of God, shares in the divine nature of God. If Jesus is just a man, then he's, or just a creature, then he can't save. But friends, I, I, I'm a man, I'm a pastor, I'm a spiritual leader, but there's nothing I can do to save you. There's nothing I can do to forgive your sins. There's nothing that I can do to justify you before God. I can only point you to the one who can. That's my job. Jesus shares in God's divine nature. He was not created because if he was created, he is not God, but a creature. So Christians believe Jesus' birth is not creation, but incarnation. That's where we get that word. That God has become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God unites himself to humanity. And again, this is why in the Nicene Creed it says this. This is, real, this is really important. Catch this. It says, Jesus is begotten from the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence of the Father, through Him all things were made. Now, sometimes I've heard people complain, even, you know, like pe people in seminary sometimes, like, the Nicene Creed, it's like, this is like getting in the weeds too much. Like, this is like making too many fine distinctions of things. And that, that is a huge mistake. That is a huge mistake. You might say, well, what does this matter? This, this, this matters everything. This is everything. Who we believe Jesus to be is everything. If he is not God, then we have given ourselves to a creature, to an idol, to a lie that cannot save us. We have to discern who we say Jesus is. This is the most important issue. 
Either Jesus is true, he is who he said he is, or our faith is built on a faulty foundation. But if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, and he somehow convinced all these monotheistic Jews that he really was God incarnate, then we should believe everything he said, because he really is who he claimed to be. His title as Son of God was proclaimed at his birth. The, the angel said to Mary, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So he's Son of Mary, Son of God. Fully man, fully God. That's why he's called Emmanuel. God with us. Not someone else, not something else. God with us. Something, friends, astounding has happened. Something astounding. God has become man. God has become human. Something maybe unthinkable. And we confess that this did happen in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. So we confess that we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And finally, we confess that He is our Lord. In the season of Christmas, it's appropriate to remember that all of these titles in the creed, they were given to Jesus at His birth. Can you believe that? It says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. From his birth, the man Jesus was crowned Messiah, God's Son, and the Lord. As we sing in Silent Night, right? Lord at thy birth. Now, Lord was a common title for for lords or masters or rulers or kings, things like that. We remember that Caesar was called Lord so that we never forget the subversiveness of this claim. That, that, that any, any other uh, lords or rulers or presidents or kings or any other positions of authority, they are not the true Lord. It is only the Lord who is the Lord of all. The Greek word for Lord, kurios, was also used in place of God's personal name, Yahweh, uh, in the Old Testament. And so there are times in the New Testament where uh, the Lord Jesus is used where you might expect like the Lord's personal name. In fact, uh, Paul writes like this in uh, 1 Corinthians 8. He says, for us there is but one God the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And here's the real revelation of Christianity. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. This is what makes Christianity different than any other belief system or religion or philosophy right there. He is our Lord. He's the head of the body. And he also must become your Lord personally. Your Lord personally. Every person is summoned by this royal declaration and invitation. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Will you surrender to this Jesus as Lord? That's the essential question of life. He's the church's Lord. He's, the, he's our personal Lord, but he's also Lord of the whole world. It's not like he, Jesus is just confined to being Lord of the church and that within this space, yeah, Jesus is Lord. You know, but out, out there, you may have your own personal opinion about who is Lord. No, there is one Lord of all, and we believe he is Lord of the whole world, whether people recognize it or not or submit to him or bend their knee or not, he is still the Lord. It's not a matter of our our personal opinion. It's a matter that he really rose from the dead and he ascended to the Father and is seated at the right hand of God as Lord of the whole world. And so if we proclaim this, we proclaim that he's Lord of all, 
We warn people that He's coming again to judge all humanity. And right now, in His name, He offers the forgiveness of sins so that all might come to share in His life and His forgiveness. So the church's responsibility is not to be content with Jesus as being my Lord and our Lord, but to go and proclaim what the angel said. There is good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you, who is Christ the Lord. And He can be your Lord too. Will you surrender to Him? At Christmas time, we celebrate this wonder that God has come to us in Jesus Christ. This is the one name under heaven by which we may be saved. There is no other name. There, there is no philosophy, no worldview, no other religion uh, or God by which we can be saved because there's no other reality of a God who has given himself to us like this. And friends, this week may be the most receptive, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. It might be the most receptive time that they might listen to what you have to say about who this Jesus is. It may be the most receptive week of the year for someone to accept an invitation to come to church, to come join us, and to hear this proclamation that Jesus Christ is God's only Son, our Lord, and to receive this good news. So I just invite you to consider in prayer, who might you share this good news of great joy with this week? Is there someone maybe the Spirit is prompting that needs this good news that Jesus is true, He's the way, he's the truth and the life. He's the Lord of all. And his arms are open wide because he came for everyone, for us, for our salvation. Jesus has come.